The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Beyond the Fairway podcast presented by Genesis. Back again, Will and... Wow. Wow. Before before we even get into it, just wow. On tap in today's episode, we've got Charlie Sifford coming in here. Junior. Charlie Sifford Jr. It's on the heels. Yeah, we're getting ready, Will, for uh, the Travel Championship, where was Sifford's first win back in 1967. But we're going to talk about all of that. But before we get to it, Will, you called C.T. Pan as a bronze medalist. I did. That's a fact. Can't take it back from you. But on the other side of the pond, I correctly called Matthew Fitzpatrick getting the job done at Brookline at this year's U.S. Open, man. What in the world? You did did call him. But here's my question. Which one's more impressive? C.T. Pan winning the bronze, or you calling Fitzpatrick, former U.S. US Am champion at the same Mm -hmm. venue, Mm -hmm. to win this year's Open? Which one's more impressive? Matthew Fitzpatrick, by far. You crazy. You out your mind. You out your mind. C.T. Pan is way more impressive. I called him not to only finish as a medalist. I told you that he was going to finish third as a bronze medalist. Nobody's doing that. That's some some one out of a million type stuff. You done or is you finished? (laughs) I I rest my case. <laughs> I just want to know why the hell Matt Kuchar is looking at me from over your shoulder. Like, what? Where the hell are you? What? The, yeah. Well, I'm. There's I'm a big at, picture of Matt Kuchar just I, over your left shoulder. Just I'm at, what? I'm at, the, I'm at the legendary Cog Hill here in Chicago. We are on site of the very first tournament of Steph Curry's uh, underrated tour, mm. and uh, Cog Hills is the first uh, tournament kickoff of this uh, season. So I have Matt Kuchar, former. Uh, United States Amherst champion back in 1997, Georgia Tech great, right behind me looking at us, making sure we did mm. his podcast Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> I just want to know how the hell you at Cog Hill with a Sage Valley. You're just like flexing on everybody no, right I'm, now. I'm, I got I'm the all, Sage I'm, Valley. And this Sage Valley is a, is, a, is, a, is a great topic of conversation, great conversation oh. starter. Hey, but what, what was your reaction to the U.S. Open? That's what I want to know. I think Rich Lerner said it best in the wrap-up. He said... In the last quarter century, this might be the best U.S. Open uh, we've seen and played and documented. I, I'll be honest, Will, like, as a, as a fan, an analyst, whatever you want to call me nowadays, that U.S. Open was a heavyweight fight. You had everything you wanted. You had long shots. You had world number two uh, in the mix. You had a lot of guys, Will, that could have taken this championship. And, you know, a lot of players, here comes a beep, a lot of players bitch and moan, Will, about the U.S. Open. We saw it at Shinnecock and some of the whole locations, etc. 
nobody complained this year, and and how could you? It's one of the best courses in the country. But you think about it, man. It was set up to be a heavyweight uh, fight fight in the end because you know this was I want to say it was the top world number one, two, and three were on the first page of the leaderboard That's going it. to the final round. Very you know true. How, do you know how special that is? But yeah. I know you picked uh, Fitzpatrick, but I, I am did. so sad for my boy Will Zalatoris. I am Man. so sad again. <laughs> I mean, you, you got to think. This will probably be his – he will probably have completed the third leg. Of no, he did the, complete I, I know what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah he, he did, he, he did he, complete it. Well, what I'm saying, if he would have won every leg – or if he would have won every major that he's uh, passed, so let's say if he would have won the 2021 Masters where he finished tied for eighth, he finished – uh, if he would have won a 2022 PGA Championship where he played against Justin Thomas, I mean, he would probably be on his damn second, third leg of this whole major championship, you know? Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I think he, he's vying for my runner-up pick for the Open Championship. I'll go ahead and say that. Will Zalatoris mm. to finish second at the Open Championship. But, Will, like, when you see a guy like that, um, like, what's that do to your mentality? Like, you, you right there. But you can't get over the hurdle. Does it give you confidence? Does it get you? It has to be nothing but a confidence uh, booster even more. I mean, because he's still doing all the right things. I mean, I want to say he, he led the field in strokes game putting for the first three rounds. You know, he still uh, had the lowest, you know, he shot 67 on Saturday, which was the lowest round of the day uh, yesterday. The guy is doing everything right, Doug. It's only a matter of time. And I believe once he cracked that nut. Cracked the nut. A, uh, you it said yesterday, right boy. We, that was last week. We we on to we oh, on to the Travelers sorry. Championship. Well, we 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 well, okay. we kind of off that already, right? No, uh, mm, all right, whatever. I can't get away with that one. <laughs> Y'all don't know when we record this damn thing. We record it whenever we can get to it. This was recorded the day of the U.S. Open finishing. So when y'all hear this, that's what's happening. Um, but no, I mean, fantastic week in golf, and another one that we're queued up for. Let's 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 be clear. Charlie Sifford won the Travelers Championship at Weathersford Country Club. Then it's, it wasn't called the Travelers then, but we're gonna bring Charlie Sifford Jr. in to talk about. I did say Weathersford. Is Weathersfield? What did I say? Weathersford. Yeah, I, Weathersford. It's it's an accent thing. Yeah, what co- a, what's the? Co- you got a fat lip. Now I got a, You can't say it. That's fine. Weathers Field is where it used to be, but we ain't there no more. All right. We, we go. I can't even do it. I hate Let's go. So much. Hey, we're going to get to uh, Charlie Sipper Jr. So and his great interview, great conversation. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Beyond the Fairway podcast presented by Genesis welcomes in a very special guest today, Mr. Charlie Sifford Jr. Uh, Mr. Sifford, so good to see you, sir. How's things up in Cleveland? Um, real nice. Uh, we're having, having a little heat spell right now. It's been in the nineties the last couple of days, but um, but we don't we're doing great here. It's just crazy when you think about Cleveland. I'm just always thinking about snow and bad football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully we we can eliminate this 
the bad football or the snow. I don't think you can do anything about that. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't know how you keep a smile on your face living in Cleveland because it's like the grayest place I've ever been. It's like gray all winter, and the sun comes out, and everybody's like this. Ah, the sun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a a shot to your system when it shows up, but we enjoy it. We we appreciate it that much more because we don't see a lot of it. (laughs) I get that. I get that. Mr. Sifford, um, I don't even know where to start. Uh, Your your dad's life and legacy is is so impactful. Uh, Every facet of of Black Golf has been touched by by your father's contributions. But, you know, as a son having a front row seat, you know, you were in your 20s, you know, when he won the, the L.A. Open. What do you recall when you just stop and look back over the years? What do you recall most about the state of golf as it relates to black and brown relations? Um, I can see it's, it's a improvement as far as the, the number of people actually playing the game right now. Um, I think it could be better, you know, but the, it's, it's cost inhibited to uh, a large segment of the population. But uh, it's definitely growing. Uh, back when my dad was playing, there were, you know, a lot of good players, but they just weren't able to get the exposure that they needed to let other people know that they were around. You know, and by being limited by the number of golf tournaments they can play in, a lot of people really didn't know Black people play golf outside the Black community. So, uh, you know, it was, it was hard, difficult, but they managed. And uh, we developed some great players that, unfortunately, never got, got the chance to be seen by other people. You know, Mr. Sifford, you know, when you think about the, the early days when, when your father was, you know, really being on the forefront of African-American golf, I, I want to know your perspective. You know, during the days when you were, you were young and, and as a kid, you know, did you know how popular your father was? Did you know exactly what he was going through at that time? No, I didn't. Uh, most of the early part of his career, my mom and I lived in Philadelphia, and he was in uh, on the road, and you know, based basically out of California. So we didn't really see him a lot, you know. And there wasn't any press time coverage of, of golf at that particular time compared to what it is now. So we, uh, you know, basically all I knew was he was away from home, working, working, and playing golf, and. I really didn't know what golf was, you know, it wasn't a popular sport in our, you know, in our community at the time. Um, so you know, basically I just knew he was, he was out on the road making a living, you know, trying to support his family. Um, when he was home, you know, it was like a, a normal life, you know, normal father, son and, and, and mother relationship. You know, we, we ate, you know, went out to dinner and stuff like that. Did go to the movies and, um, some of the hardships that he faced, he pretty much trying to keep them away from us because they, he didn't want us to be worried about what, you know, what was going on out there. He wanted us to um, be comfortable with the fact that he was, you know, he was trying to succeed at what he was doing. Did you, did you actually, so sorry, I have to, when I read the stories of, of what your father actually had to endure one, I don't think I could do it. Right. I, I'm not tough enough to go through some things. I mean, he, he had to uh, lie to law enforcement to let them know that he wasn't the driver or the owner of the car. 
He had to make sure right. his white counterparts either drove down the street with him because people wouldn't believe that that car was his in the first place at that time. He had True. human feces in the cups at the golf course in, in PJ Tour events when he got welcomed there at Hartford back in 67. Did those stories, did he ever like, you know, talk to you about those things that he had to endure or did he just really keep a shield over you? He pretty much kept a shield over it. Um, I learned about a lot of it once he wrote the book. You know, when he wrote the book, he put a lot of all that in there. Like I said, he tried to shield us from it. Um, My first exposure to the, um, the racism thing was when we moved from Philadelphia to California and we drove Route 66 going through the South. Well, we had to, you know, he would send my mother and I into the restaurant just to see if they were service. You know, and most of the time we did stop. We had to stop, you know, we stopped during the daytime. You know, we felt it was, he felt it was safer for all of us, you know, stopping at different places down in that area during the daylight rather than trying to do things at nighttime. Mm. So he pretty much kept us sheltered. Um, you know, once... You know, once we got to California, you know, it got a little bit more publicity uh, in the news-wise. Uh, we start, I started learning more about what was really going on out there. And and he kind of, as I got older, he talked a little bit more freely about what was going on. But for the most part, he tried to keep us sheltered from it. You know, when you, when you, when you speak on keeping sheltered, you know, I, like what Doug just mentioned, I'm not built for that. There's no way I'm built for that. And, and, you know, I'm curious to like, as, as a son, you know, as a junior firstborn, did you, did you feel like when there was a burden on your father, like he, he just came off the road and you could tell it was tough. Yes. Um, he had time, you know, he had, you know, he didn't say much, but you can tell by his facial expression that, you know, Things were bothering me. It was a tough trip. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and um, he just happened to be, I guess what you say, the right person at, in the right place at the right time. Mm. Like you said, many people, there's not too many people that could have did what he did and still be able to play competitively as good as he did. But um, as I got, you know, I could see, you know, there was some stress on him when he first come back in, especially if he played bad. You know, he he wasn't as... <laughs> as friendly, <laughs> you know, as, you know, he normally was when he had, a, you know, had a good week or a couple good weeks, you know, prior to him coming home. But there was a difference. Um, it was subtle, but you know, you can tell there was a difference in his attitude. And you know, you know, when you talk about attitudes, you know, I, I heard that you know he got words of wisdom from one of the great baseball players of all time. And, right. you know, yeah. that was some of his inspiration. Can you please, uh, you know, kind of talk about that? Yes. He, um, he was, um, while he was on the circuit, on entertainment circuit with Billy X time traveling around, he met a lot of different people in the entertainment, you know, sports entertainment world. And he, he, uh, he met Jackie, you know, and Jackie took a liking to him and they got to talking about dad, told him that he was thinking about trying to break onto the PJ tour. And that if he did, he'd probably be, the, you know, he'd be the first one to do it. And Jackie said, well, I understand, you know, you got to understand you're going to run into some problems. <laughs> and Jackie asked him, was he a quitter? 
And my father said, no. He's, and Jackie told him that he was glad to hear that. He said, there's going to be times where, you, where you're going to want to quit and try something else. Because it's not going to be easy being the first. Hmm. You're just going to have to um, man up, take, take things that you normally wouldn't take as far as somebody talking to you. Hmm. You know, you couldn't respond in, in, in an appropriate way. Otherwise, it would make it harder harder for you and then anybody else that came along behind you. So they had a long talk. They talked over you know, over a period of time and uh, my father was convinced that he could do it and he and fortunately he was able to break through. You know, he kept his composure when he had to. He played good golf. He won some tournaments, won some money and, you know, he made a lot of friends out there that, you know, supported what he was doing after the, you know, because a lot of them saw what he was going through and a lot of the white players, you know, supported him out there. Well, you talked a bit about it earlier. His book, Just Let Me Play. And I'm really surprised to hear, like, you, you learned a lot about your father by reading the book. But, you know, I, I heard recently that that book has gone in to be reprinted and added photos, uh, et cetera. How important is that that reprint or that book coming uh, uh, back to life, I guess you could say? How important is that to the legacy of your dad? Um. It's it's really important because um, it adds a lot of a lot of recognition that he never received, you know, prior to the after after writing of the first book, you know, because it picks up in um, 2004 and comes all the way up to you know 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of things happen in his life, you know, during that that, that ten year span. Uh, you know, the Presidential Medal of Freedom Award, being inducted to the Hall of Fame and um, getting an honorary doctorate. And then also he was um, given the um, Old Tom Morris Award mm, and wow. they had a golf course named after him as well as a street in Los Angeles. So it's, I think it's important to let people know that if you have a dream, which he did and and worked hard at it, you could be successful, you know, and, and, and be recognized, you know, accomplishing what you set out your goals to be. I, I remember uh, I spent some time uh, with your father. Uh, I want to say maybe eight to 10 years ago uh, during um, when he was back and forth here a lot at the Dr. Sifford uh, golf course here in Charlotte. And right. him and I, him and I, and James Black, we had great conversations <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, 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 I, and I say all that to say this, uh, just recently, I want to say maybe six months or a year ago, you came down and we were hitting balls on a range with, with James Black. And right. I was so happy to see you swing. I'm like, we about to see one of the greatest to ever swing this golf club. And uh, Mr. Black said, he don't swing nothing like his daddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, I, and I say all that to say this, you know, I, I heard, I remember Mr. Sivers saying he wanted to shield you from the game of golf. Like he didn't really, he was really kind of skeptical and having you be involved in the game to a certain extent because of all the stuff that he went through. Uh, right. Please speak more to that. Like, as far as, did you want to be involved or you kind of understand where father was coming from? No, uh, um, he didn't, um, he didn't force the game on me. You know, I picked it up mainly because he was playing, you know, I went to the golf course with him watching their balls and stuff. But my primary, I want to be a, a baseball player. 
you know, and that was my primary goal. And he, he let me decide what sport I wanted to play. You know, if I wanted, he, he arranged for me to take lessons and stuff like that on for golf, but, you know, but he could tell my interest wasn't in it. You know, I didn't love the game the way he loved it. You had to love it to put you know, to do what he did. Um, I liked the game, you know, I enjoyed it, but um, he wanted me to make my own decision because he didn't, you know, he knew what, what he went through and um, he didn't want to, you know, want me to be exposed to that, that kind of pressure. So, you know, he, he just let me decide. And, and, uh, and as I got older, I got more and more involved in the game. And I, you know, now I played as much as I possibly can living in Cleveland. We only have a <laughs> you got two weeks to play. Six month time, <laughs> six month time period. So um, I try to get as much golf in as I can. You know, one thing that that always I've always wanted to ask you, uh, and, and I'm so glad I have opportunity. Is like, you know, being the son of such a legendary, you know, iconic figure. Um, is it is it exhausting to to always answer questions about your dad or, or or what you've been through within the game? Do you ever just be like, man, just I don't want to talk about this damn game right now? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, the one question I always got asked was, "Are you as good as your father?" Mm. And I, I want to say, if I was as good as if I was as good as him, I wouldn't be out here with you. Yeah, man. <laughs> and, hey, um, Mr. Siffer, I saw you swing. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I have, you know, I, you know, he taught me well. You know, he wanted to make sure I knew what I was doing if I wanted to do it. But, um, but that was a, that was the number one question. You know, I always got, and um, and, and the second was, um, how did he do it? You know, I said we just happened to be, like I mentioned earlier, just happened to be the right person in the right place at the right time. You and, know, and, and faith. <laughs> And yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just have to be the right, you know, that's there at the right time. Oh. You know, when, when you, when you, when you hear about some of the, you know, the young African-Americans that are playing this game as of right now, you know, you got the APGA tour, Ken Bentley and Michael Cooper, what those guys are doing, which is phenomenal. Right. They do, yeah, um, they're doing an excellent job. Absolutely. And, we, and Doug and I are huge fans of what they're doing for the game. Uh, but from your perspective, as uh, you know, kind of have the past, present and future perspective of the game and, and being in the seat that you are, you know, what, what is some of the message that you really want the young aspiring professional golfers to get from your father's legacy? Um, set your goals, work hard at it. Um, and believe in yourself. You know, that's the main thing. You have to believe in yourself and your talent. Um, if you develop that talent level to the, to the, to be a, you know better than average, you know there's going to be people out there that's going to recognize that you have talent and want to help you out. But uh, the main thing is work hard. Don't get discouraged because it's going to take time. <laughs> but like he said, my father used to say you have to work two and a half times as hard being a uh, a minority as to be equally accessible as the rest of the world, which. <laughs> And it's the same in golf. You got to be exceptional. You know, this can't be good. You got to be, you know, above average to, to catch uh, interest from other people and let them know that you can play this game. Well, I and it's take... just a matter of hard work and perseverance. 
Mm. Hard work and perseverance. Well, I got I got one of those things. I don't know about if I got <laughs> the, other, the other one. But you know, this is this is what I found really interesting. You know, when you were 21, you you were on the green during the celebration for for your dad winning the LA Open. All right. But but what I find more interesting is at that time, we're talking about 1969, there were eight black professional golfers that were playing the the PGA circuit at the time. Now, when you when when your dad got handed a check for twenty thousand dollars and I'm reading this because I don't want to get it wrong. It says there were five players in that field that that was around that green with you and your father, Pete Brown, Lee Elder, Junior Walker, Rafa Botts and Curtis Sifford, which, of course, is uh, Charlie's nephew. My, my, my question is, is that's a lot of brothers out there. And, and now yeah. we, why are we where we are, where we got this, 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 uh, I feel like it, it's, we're, we're like dropped in or sprinkled in black players because <laughs> in the sixties and seventies, there was eight guys and maybe even got up to 10 or 12 that were playing high level golf. And now it's four or five. Max. Yeah, um, it's, it's kind of hard to believe. You know, it seemed like, like you said, we, we've gone backwards as far as professional golfers on tour. Uh, like you said, it was quite a few when Dad got there. You know, everybody really thought there was going to be an onslaught once Tagger hit, hit the, got out there and started playing and winning. But I don't know. Um, I think it's just the financial situation it's the number one key, you know, um, getting sponsors, uh, and getting good training. You know, nowadays the kids are going to college, you know, and they playing on these, all these different country clubs and school and they, they, they're developing a lot faster than the African American or anybody's non non white golfer. Um, they don't have the exposure, the ability to play on um, good golf courses. They don't have the money, which is the main drawback. You know, there's, there's a lot lot more expensive to be out on that tour than it was when Dad was playing. That's, that's a good point. Um, and um, it's, it's just, I don't know, I guess after a while, they get to a certain point, and then some of them just lose interest. You know, they know they can play, but they – they had that drive or the uh, affordability to be able to take that next step. And that's what we have to do. We have to find out some kind of way to develop uh, um, some financial assistance for these kids to be able to develop their game. And APGA is doing a real good job of getting exposure for, you know, some of the young minorities playing. And they, you know, they starting to get spots into the um, in certain PGA tournaments. But uh, but you once you get in those spots, you're gonna have to, like I said, you got to play better than what the, your counterpart is doing to get that recognition from them in order to want you to keep inviting you to play in these tournaments. You know, it's it's a it's a, a big shock to some of them kids when they get out there on the PGA Tour, to be playing in the conditions that they're playing in against the talent that they're playing against, mm-hmm. it's different. You know, it's another level. And some of them just haven't been able to make that step to get to that next level as far as the competition-wise is concerned. Yes. But I think once they, you know, once they get over that, that hurdle of 
you know, being more competitive, they you know, the the financial backing will yeah. show up once they realize that you that you do have talent and able to produce once you get out there. Yeah, that's that's and that's you pretty much uh that's come from my heart. We, we I know you, you, you told my, my biography <laughs> yeah, right there. Right, right. right. Yeah. Leave me speechless. <laughs> but now, you know, Mr. Sifford, you know, in, in August, um, the President Cup has announced that they will have six teams to compete in the inaugural Charlie Siffer Centennial Cup. So now, obviously, right. that wasn't a hard decision to attach the Siffer name <laughs> to. So please explain now, how did that process come about? Um, it was, it started where we, um, a friend of my father's lived in Houston and met him while he was my father's mother was living in Houston. Mm-hmm. Called me, you know, he, he was really fond of my dad. And he said he had some people that wanted to help promote my father's 100th birthday celebration. And they formed a group. Um, um, That's him right there calling me back. Yeah, he calling you right now. It's uh, Money Online one. Yeah. Um, JLMP. <laughs> And they uh, was the name of their organization, and they formed. They they come got together with a WME a group a, a group out of California that helped promote the uh, my father's um, birthday. Uh, we started by um, producing a cigar with John Starks mm-hmm. uh, Cigar Company. Uh, we had the book redone. And then we got Buckle Foley to um, produce a hat, um, a senior hat. And then they approached the PGA about seeing what they wanted to do to uh, contribute to the celebration of my father's 100th birthday. And it just so happens that uh, the President's Cup was going to be in Charlotte this year. And it seemed like it was a perfect match. You know, my father being from Charlotte, you know, and they want to do something to show that they um, are working towards the diversity in the game of golf. You know, it seemed like this, uh, everything that's fell into place. And I guess the hardest part was trying to decide, you know, on, on how to get what schools to invite, you know. So they um, they used, uh, you know, the you know the top rankings, you know, Division mm-hmm. One and, t- and Division Two to get the schools. But um, it was just a perfect fit for, you know, everything that's fell into place. You know, my dad being from Charlotte, you know, the tournament, the President's Cup was going to be there. And it just, you know, everything that's fell in, it fell into place and that's, and that's took off from there. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, all the happenings there in Will's hometown, down there in Charlotte at Quail Hollow uh, for, for that centennial event. But there's another centennial event that we, we got to discuss with you real quick, Mr. Siffer. And that's, that's the, the, the golf outing, you know, here on Tuesday, June Correct. 21st. Tell me a little bit about the aim for, for this event, because I know Weathersfield country club is a very, very special place to you and, and your family. Yes. This time the golf course, my father won his first official PGA tournament. Um, I've never been there. So it'd be a great honor to, to be in the city as well as play on the golf course that he played on when he won the golf tournament. I'm lo- really looking forward to it. Well, and, go ahead, Will. I'm sorry. No, no it's, and so, you know, if, if this is your first time, so I would imagine is some of the other, other family, other descendants, other, 
you know, uh, you know, nieces and grandkids and nephews are coming along with you? No, just my my daughter is the only one that's going to be coming. My grandson is playing baseball, and he, he's missed about three or four games, and he said – he wanted. He didn't want to miss anymore. So. I love. I love you, Grandpa. But I. I gotta. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, he said, you know, you know, he, he he's been he's been traveling with us. Um, he went. He was down at the memorial, and he went to the um, induction ceremony. So you know, he's. He, I guess he decided he needed a break. Talk a little bit about the Dr. Charles Sifford Scholarship. Because the the aim is to to raise money for for those folks attending HBCUs, uh, you know, not just educationally, but you know, within the game of golf. Yes, um, it's primary is geared towards those who, you know, uh, want to uh, have a maybe have a career in the, in golf field, you know, not necessarily playing, but maybe you know, working in a pro shop, working for. Uh, a golf company or something like that that just doesn't have, don't have the money, you know, to go to a four year school to get the education. And uh, so we want to do what we can uh, to help them achieve that, that goal. My father never had a chance to go to college. uh, So he wants, you know, he's, he really wanted to um, help kids. He's always been, close to kids and you know you know even on the tour when they was out there he was definitely always signing autographs for him and things like that so you know he he really was wanted to have them look up to him and see what he's accomplished and um we want to fulfill his dream to having more minorities get involved in an overall field of golf not just the plan of it yeah, and that's the Dr. Charles L. Sifford Scholarship, which is designed to help support college students qualify as they pursue their professional careers of their choice. Hopefully they stay within the game of golf because uh, I know uh, it, it's a lot more welcoming when there's some folks that look like us behind the counter right, when we get to these courses. Right. We, we got to let you go, and, and I'm looking forward to to the Centennial Cup. It's, it's there right alongside of of the President's Cup there at Quell Hollow in right. Charlotte. But, but, but as we let you go – what what about your legacy? What will what will your legacy be um, when we talk about Charlie Sifford Jr.? Um, I just like you know, you know, I was, I'm, I'm I'm a modest person. Um, I don't brag about what my father did. People people that know us know what he did, so it's not I'm not the the bragging type. But I just want everybody to know that I did everything I possibly could to um, keep my father's name in, in the forefront so that um, he could be recognized and celebrated from, from now until hopefully the end of time, you know, get his name, you know, he's, you know, he's just want him to be recognized and I'm doing all I possibly can, my family as well, to make sure that happens, to keep his name out there in the forefront. Well, I know for speaking for Will and myself and, and everybody at NBC and, and golf, man, we, we appreciate uh, your contributions to the game, your father's contributions. That's the most understatement thing I've ever said. Like, we appreciate it. No, I mean, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> come back again also, tomorrow. Um, I want to also <laughs> comment that there's going to be a, a summit meeting going on around the same time as the HBC tournament where the, um, the presidents from the HBCU and people from – and. Uh, for the PGA are going to have a summit where they're going to get together and talk about 
what what can what can be done from here on and in, into the future as far as increasing the diversity in the game of golf. And I think this is going to be something really interesting, and should be um create some some positive things out of it. Well, when you feel that tug at your shirt tail, that's Will following you into the room. So Will's okay, going to be no right problem. there behind I'll be, you. I'll be there. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, well, 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 I, I had our, call. well, we had already talked to Adam Sperling, uh, the tournament director for uh, the President's okay. Cup, and I will be there hosting that event. So I will already okay. be, I'll, be, I'll be bringing your chair out so you can sit in the chair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll be looking forward to seeing you again. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, thank thank you, Dr. Sifford. We appreciate well, Mr. Sifford, Dr. Sifford. I'm calling you Dr. Sifford. How about that? I'm, I'm a, I, okay. right here on Beyond the Fairway. We have, we've given you your doctorate. Boom. It, it doesn't okay, mean much, but it. it means something to us. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you, Mr. Pleasure Sifford. talking to you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for the time, sir. Blessings to you. Okay. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Beyond the Fairway is presented by Genesis Motor America and the 2022 GV80. Luxurious design meets intuitive versatility. Make the game your own. And, Will, one of the things we talk about making the game your own, Charlie Sifford Jr. does it in a, in a different way. He, he makes his father's game and legacy his own. The selflessness that he exhibited, you know, through our conversation was was remarkable. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, I man. You know, he he is furthering the legacy of his father through initiatives that can still grow the game and we can benefit from, you know, a younger generation can benefit from. So, I mean, for somebody who, you know, never played in the PGA Tour, Charlie Severett Jr., he gets it. And that's what makes him so amazing. He even, uh, you know, pay homage to his father, you know, all the hard work and all the dedication and all the the pain and suffering that he had to do for us. Mm. And to, to, you know, Doug, you and I, we, we, we play this game on a high level, and we take a bogey home with us. So imagine, imagine you know, going through the, the, the props and the stuff that he had to deal with and still come home yeah. and still be attentive husband, attentive father. Man, yeah. Charlie Sefer, man. And, and, to shield, and to shield your family from kind of the, 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 the grotesque lifestyle that you live trying to chase this white ball around grass, like putting up with unimaginable racism and hostility just, just to play the game, just to live and be different color skin. Sorry, that, that just – it blows my mind what those guys did so that we can have a platform to, to play and, and do what we do. It's it's fantastic. So shouts out to the Charlie Sifford Jr. Thank you, Charlie Sifford Sr. for all you've done and your contributions to this game. And also we do need to give a shout out to Wendell Haskins, who was monumental in making sure that Charlie Sifford got the recognition that he needed via the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Uh probably what, eight, nine months before he passed, Will? Absolutely, yeah. I mean Char- I mean I mean we've got to give shout out to Wendell for doing a lot of things. You know, he still had his hand in on the um the honorary uh uh, starter at the Masters for Lee Elder as well. So, just shout out for just shout out to for for wonderful all he's doing in the game of golf. Well, speaking of shout outs, let me give Jennifer Cupcho a shout out because she took home a W this week, eighteen under par at the Meyer LPGA Classic. So, shouts out to you, Jay Cup, and um, 
Well, Travelers Championship is going to be good. I don't have any picks yet. I'm just be honest with you. I'm I'm I, I'm, a, I, I'm I'm drained from the U.S. Open. I have I, I, I am have out no of breath. Yeah, we'll we'll pick. Uh, follow us on social media. We'll pick there. Appreciate all y'all for tuning in to Beyond the Fairway, presented by Genesis Golf Channel, NBC Sports, Paul Kazmierczak, everybody that helps us put this show on. We appreciate you and uh, Happy Father's Day, belated to all the fathers out there. We appreciate what you do and uh, go raise your damn kids in the game of golf. That's where you won't. Holla at you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.